morning. Oi, Snarla, say good morning. Oh, this is what she does. Well, maybe it is a good morning. I don't know. But we just sung asking that the Lord of the universe would speak to us. Do you think he will? Do you think he's got something to say? That really makes a difference. That'll make a difference on your outlook on everything. Whether or not you believe that there is a present Lord here today who intends to use his written words that he loves and has guarded and has blessed us with and given to us, It'll make all the difference to you now if you believe he's going to speak. Why don't we quieten our hearts before him now? Lord, help us to believe and help us to sense and know the preciousness of what is on offer to us today. Lord, forgive us when our feelings and our stubbornness get in the way and block our ears. Forgive us, Lord, when we hold at arm's length things that you give to us. Please, Lord, do not let us be fake. Please do not leave us to our own wisdom and our own pursuits. We dare to pray that your spirit would be here now, moving amongst us, calling us to beautiful things, because you say there's a reward on offer. And we pray that we would see it, taste it, know it, and take it into our lives, that you may get all the glory, for you are worthy, O Lord. Help us now in the name of your dear Son, Amen. So let me ask you, do you know the person in the video? You know the video, Christian Instagram girl that we saw a little while ago? Do you know the person in that video? Not personally, but do you know the kind of person I'm talking about? And we watched that and we laughed because we saw something, didn't we? We saw a young lady who was trying to do devotions do a religious act, but we sort of saw underneath what was motivating the act. What was motivating it? Come on, people. What was motivating it? Image. There's one word. Give me another word. Approval. Give me another word. Likes. Was she after a reward? Of course she was. But was it the reward of meeting with the living God and enjoying his presence and knowing that she is saved by grace and walking and heading for eternity and being used by him for his kingdom's glory? Was that her reward? No, it was likes on her Instagram feed. Oh my. It was sort of painful, wasn't it? But it was sort of true. Every year when I go and lead a beach mission team down at St. Ives, I know the morning is coming. I know the morning is coming when a bunch of the young people will get together and they'll say, Steve, can we go and do our devotions down by the beach? What? You mean you want to get up at half five in the morning and go down by the beach to read your Bible? Yeah, we just want to go and see God's glorious creation and we want to watch it and we want to be able to feel close to him as we read his words. And I think, right. I'm like, okay, go on then. And I know it'll only be 15 minutes after they've all got back when they don't even need to hold their phones up because it's already gone between them. And Look at this awesome picture of me having my devotions on the beach. Hashtag so blessed. Maybe I'm misjudging them. But isn't there something about the doing of religious duties that reveals something of our 
heart. I hate it when people are fake. The Lord hates it too. But this is the thing. We know how to use the things of God to get a selfish reward. Can I get an amen, people? Amen. We know how to do that. But I wonder whether that young lady in the video didn't know she was being fake. She was blind to it. There's something about living the con for so long that you don't even realize you're living the con. There is something that is plausible and reasonable, or at least it seems to us, so it's so much easier to see hypocrisy in other people, but is it, is it easy to see hypocrisy in ourselves? No. Who's usually the last to know if we're a hypocrite? Us. So we want to be on the lookout here if this is what we're talking about today. Now, I suppose at this point you're probably feeling a little bit uncomfortable, but we've got to take this one off the shelf. Why is that? Well, I could say it's because so many people who know something of professing Christians say one of the things that puts them off is that they say, I know what you're like, you professing Christians. You're a bunch of hypocrites. You say one thing about yourself. You try to show one thing about yourself, but I know and I can see, and you're fake. To be honest with you, I need to take that seriously as a pastor, don't I? So often you'll find it is Christian or kids of Christian parents who are saying that. I won't follow Jesus anymore because I saw that my parents, they did their religious thing on a Sunday, they turned up at Bible study, they knew all the words to the hymns, but I saw them when they were on their own and the two things didn't match. They were hypocrites. I want nothing to do with Jesus. And in fact, there are plenty of people who've been hurt by that. So I can't minimize it, but that's not the reason why we're investigating it today. Not because it stops people becoming Christians, but for another reason. It's simply this, that Jesus has zero tolerance for hypocrisy in his kingdom. And he says, if you have a tendency towards hypocrisy in his kingdom, then you need to ask yourself whether you're actually in his kingdom. He has zero tolerance. Why? Because his kingdom is all about real. It's all about reality. It's all about the fact that he is the king who has come to reclaim a planet that has turned away from him. He is the king who has come to pay the price so that people can be forgiven and ushered into a new established kingdom that he is really, really making. He really, really does pull people like you and me into his kingdom. He really, really is the king over the whole earth. And he really, really is leading us to a future eternity and present, giving us power now by his Spirit. And if you do anything, anything at all, that diminishes that, that belittles that, that mocks that, that reduces that, he will ask you and me the question, maybe you're not even in the kingdom at all. Because if you see and know its power, you have the ultimate respect for it. You won't be fake, and you certainly won't try and use it to get your own rewards. You won't, in the name of God, do something, but then have no regard for him. That's a hint that the kingdom means nothing to you. And Jesus wasn't short of illustrations about this in the first century. But we need to look at this because he gives us this really strong word, uh, warning. Somebody read for us verse 1 of chapter 6. Read it nice and loud.
Okay, so in some, some versions it says, be careful. In other versions, it says, beware. And in other versions, it says, watch out. Any which way you look at that, why is it that yesterday evening when we walked out the cinema with my girls and there were puddles around, why was it that I said to them, watch out for the puddles? Why did I say that to my daughters as they're skipping around la-di-da? Why did I do that? Because they get wet, but why did I have to say that to them? Because they wouldn't have watched out on their own. There was something they were unaware of. For whatever reason, it wasn't on their radar that there was something that was going on there. That's why we have a warning, isn't it? And Jesus says, I know something about you. There is a danger, which is much more serious than a puddle, that you're not even on the lookout for. And unless I call you to it, bad things will happen. And this is it. I know what motivates you. That's what he's saying. I know what motivates you. See, the Lord Jesus, in the days of his flesh, he'd been around people for long enough, hadn't he? He'd seen the motives of Herod and why Herod did what he did. He'd known that Herod was power-hungry and crazy. He'd sat and watched as the religious people went about their daily business. He'd watched about what people were fearful of, and he knew what motivated people. And look at the words that he uses in that verse. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness or in some... um, Uh, Perform your deeds of righteousness in some versions before men to be, what's that word? Seen by them. Now that word comes out of, uh, it's close to where we get the word theatre from. It carries the idea of performance, of being viewed, watched, and seeking of approval. Do we get that? Be very, very careful. I know what you're like. You like to be seen by people. I want to be somebody. I want to be thought well of. I want to... I want to fit in. I want to be considered worthy. Now, that's inc- anybody not want those things? Those are incredibly intoxicating for you and me, aren't, aren't we? Uh, aren't they? That happens in the secular world, in the, the non-religious sphere. I love that phrase that was brought out just a couple of years ago, that a virtue signaling. So often social media has op- opened up this opportunity for us to uh, broadcast to the world what we think about different issues that are coming up and different events that have happened. But somebody's come along and said that it's not just that social media allows us to broadcast our opinions and our views on things. On top of that, we use it for more than that to try to shape people's views of us. So maybe there's a a, a common... Uh, issue that is out there. Maybe it's on climate change, or maybe it's on recycling, or or maybe it's on disabled access, or something like that. And what you do is, is when somebody puts something up in promotion of that good cause, you come along and you indicate and say something passionate or earnest about it. And in that moment, not only are you supporting that cause, but you're being seen to support that cause. So you are signaling your virtue that you're a good person. What about charities? I was thinking about this. We've, we've been wonderfully supported in the building of this building uh, and the renewing of this building by a number of charities and a number of companies. But have you noticed what they asked us to do? They asked us to put their plaque up in there with their name on it. They want to be seen to be generous. And you'll put that out there and you'll go, see, we're in control of showing what we want people to see. We don't we don't show people when we're flying off the handle or when we're being narky or when we're keeping our money back to ourselves. 
Now, those are all the things out there in the, in the secular world, but there's something worse than all of that. So as much as I might have pointed my finger out there, who's Jesus pointing his finger at? He's pointing at religious folks. He's saying there is something worse than hypocrisy out there. It is hypocrisy amongst people who claim that they are devoted to God. That's what that phrase there, those acts of righteousness, they're, they're things that Christians do because they believe and trust in the Lord. You know, we had a series on it, didn't we, not so long ago in church. We said, okay, stuff that Christians just do. What we just do is we pray and we give and we sing and there's a whole stack of stuff we do as religious devotion to the Lord because we're in his kingdom, not to get us into his kingdom. Jesus gets us into his kingdom. And Jesus says, watch out, because you will take and use good things for wrong purposes. You'll be less concerned about transformation and more concerned about reputation. Anybody else other than me struggle with that one? Of everybody in this room, who does the most religious, devotional actions, performances, I mean that. Jesus seems to think this is serious. The fact that I haven't gone to hell yet is amazing. I don't know what the proportions are, but they're not favorable. Of being more worried on a... If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. You can do deeds, use my name, pretend to love me, pretend to be devoted, when, and then when, want nothing to do with me when no one is watching. And that isn't what my kingdom's about. He's talking about a God who loves to give rewards. And what is the reward in this passage? It's him. And if you don't realize what a reward he is, then that's because you're spiritually blind. He is the Lord of glory. He is the Father of heaven, the angels cry holy. He is eternal. You're bothered about the views of somebody from planet and enjoying a relationship with him. Right now you're saying, Steve, calm this one down a little bit and give us some illustrations. An illustration would be good. Just, you know, something funny that we can all see. I'm like, well, I'm glad you asked because I don't even need to think of them. Because he's given the principle in one verse and then in the next 18 verses, the Lord Jesus gives three illustrations they're not everything to be said on this. He just gives three things that everybody around them would have spotted and known and gone, oh yeah, Christian Instagram girl, first century edition. And they're hilarious. And you see the Lord Jesus here. He doesn't pull any punches. He mocks them. He ridicules them. You see, the Lord Jesus is incredibly gentle and gracious with somebody who is humble, needy, and hurting, but somebody who is up themselves, he pulls no punches, and he exposes ruthlessly. So let's see illustration number one, and it's on giving, and we can all identify with this one. Verse two, so when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth. They have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, we don't pass a plate here, do we? And there's a reason for that. Number one, 
We don't want you to feel that you get some sort of special merit by giving. Number two, uh, we know what you're tempted to do. So when I go and visit churches, and some churches still pass plates to give, um, what, what's the only thing I'm really thinking? <laughs> when that plate comes to me, am I thinking, Lord, you've given me so much. Thank you, Lord. I just my resources to give and honor your name. No. Nope. I'm just sitting worrying what people are thinking of me. Are they going to see how much I've given? Oh, no. Quick. Oh, I've only got a quid. Oh, pants can't put that in. Oh, do you know what? I come from a family where my mum would send me to church to Sunday school every week with a 10p piece and tell me to put it in the, in the offering box. And I was like, okay, I'll do that. But then when I got older and I used to go visiting, my mum would still hand me 10 pence. I could go on, put it in. And I was like, oh, that's not right. I'm not doing that for the right reasons. I'm doing it to be seen and because a 10 pence piece makes a bigger clink in the bag than a, a, a little quid or anyway. It's not quite right. But these guys, what did they experience in the first century? There were trumpets involved. So every now and again, there would be an occasion where there would be a, a public round, almost like a telethon, that type of thing, where they'd say, right, let's get some money to give to some poor people. And what a wonderful opportunity to big yourself up. So they would come and parade themselves and look, and they'd like, look at all my money and put it in the tin. Who were they giving for? Were they giving for the poor and the needy? They were giving for themselves. So <laughs> there's such a temptation to do that good thing, but what is the reward you're seeking? Is it between you and the Lord? What does the Lord think of us using something that we're saying we're doing in his name because we love him, when really we're just trying to do it to get a reward for ourselves? Now, listen, I need to point this bit out to you, because some of you are going, yeah, and that's why I don't give. You think he's going to let you off the hook? Listen, I know the percentage. I don't know the who's. I know the percentages that there is a relatively small percentage of people in this church who give a lot and a higher percentage of people who don't. That word, when you give, is literally whenever you give. In other words, the Lord Jesus assumes that people who know him and have received the riches of heaven from him, the most natural things that tells the story is that we want to use our resources that he has given us to bless, to help the cause of the gospel and the needy around. So if you are not, if you are not giving but calling yourself a Christian, then there is a serious problem. And some of you all have come up with a very complicated series of strategies as to why this doesn't count for you. Wrong. It does. If you don't know where to start, let me help you. You give in secret and you give until it hurts a lot. There is no other way to do it. We should be a church that every single person who professes faith in Jesus Christ, before they book, book their, uh, buy their flat screen TV, before they sign up for their Sky Movies package, before they get their iPhone 10, before they buy their kids Christmas presents, before they redo the lounge, be how secretly is it? Don't let your left know what your right hand is doing. What does Jesus know about you and me? He knows that some of us give in secret so that nobody else knows, but we're so sneaky and deceitful, our hearts will go, I've given. I'm righteous. I'm doing okay. Which is terrible. 
Because the only qualification for being in his kingdom is that you are poor in spirit and you know how undeserving you are. If you're letting your left let you know what your rights do, there's something going on there where you're going, yeah, nobody else knows, but I know how righteous I am, baby. Doing the right thing for the wrong reason isn't just worthless. It's dangerous, says Jesus. Are you with me? That's really, really close to home. Is I had to go away and start thinking to myself, I wonder how many times I've prayed for you or prayed for you. Do you see the difference between the two? Maybe it's a church meeting here, somebody's brought a prayer request. Have I prayed for you because I'm bothered about what you're concerned about? Or have I prayed for you to perform? Because I know a few big words and, and I want you to feel like your pastor knows a few theological phrases that somehow open the, the, uh, twist the key to open the door to spiritual blessing. I mean, it wasn't deceptive back then. You've got the religious leaders and the, and the devoted types who would turn up and on the street corner, they would use oratory and big long words and a sort of formulaic prayer. And I wonder what they were like in private. They spoke and they, they put on a performance of how devoted and close to the Lord they were in public. I wonder whether they prayed in private. Isn't it interesting? Which kind of prayer does the Lord like? The one that is out in public? You've got to pray in public. But what will be the real test of what your real devotion to the Lord will be? The public or the private? Which one? You see, it's what you are in private when nobody else is looking that is the real you. Oh, if you play devoted out in public, but you're not, in private, you're a fake. Uh, Bill Mayers was a Baptist minister. Uh, he was quite prominent in the States in, if I remember rightly, the 60s, if I'm getting my presidents right, and you'll see why I need to get my presidents right in a minute. He was a special spiritual supporter and on the team of ministers, if you like, that looked after the president at the time when Lyndon B. Johnson was president over in the States. And from time to time, they would put on a White House prayer breakfast. But on one particular occasion, there was a special high-level dinner with a whole load of special guests who were around. And Bill Mayer was given the special honor of being asked by the president, will you pray and give thanks before we all sit down to eat? And so Bill nodded, felt a great deal of honor. And as they all stood by the tables, Bill prayed. It was all a bit awkward because there was silence. President leans over and says, Bill, Bill, could you speak up a little bit? I can't hear you. Bill replied, Mr. President, I wasn't talking to you. You see, that's the kind of people that we want to be. And he gives one more illustration and it's fasting. Now, I can't imagine there's a crazy mad problem here for us in fasting. Uh, because there's something about, I mean, honestly, if we were people who religiously fasted quite a bit, and fasting is right and good, and I'll tell you about that reason in a minute. If people, if we were a church that fasted regularly, I can tell you for free that we would want people to know about it. 
I mean, flip an egg. If I go without pudding one day, I feel like I've got to announce it to the world. You know, and I'm not talking about intermittent fasting. We're talking here about a devotion that is assumed by Jesus that Christians do. And there's multiple things that you gain out of fasting, but effectively what you're doing is you, when you fast, is you come apart from good things to gain a better thing. Can I say that again? Fasting is all about coming apart from good things that in and of themselves could be controlling over your life that you give your heart to for a better thing, which is to know the Lord. And at the same time, what you do when you fast is you build a resolve against sinful practices. You, if you like, you, you strengthen your self-control mu- muscle so that sin that is always crouching at the door, wanting to claim us and take us, is pushed back because you've developed a self-control and a singular pr- purpose of focusing on the Lord. And there could be any number of things that you fast from. It could be all those good things out there that you seem so dependent on because a good thing becomes a God thing when you're enslaved by it and can't live without it. So some of you are saying, Steve, well, what should I fast from? I said, I don't know anything that you tell me that you can't live without. Oh, I can't live with, well, I don't know. There's loads of things I, you know, I have, but I could live without them. Okay, then well, in that case, uh, go without your phone for six months. And at the end of that six months, ask the Lord, had I got a sinful dependency upon it? I can't go without my phone for six months. Do you see the point? It could be telly. It could be spending. It could be your little rewards that you do on your evening to chill out. But for them, it was food. And what they would do is they would come apart from food for a bit. Now, listen, we've had enough of us in this church who've been diet and dieting things. And if there's one thing we're really good at, it's putting on a mopey face and go, oh, it's so hard. I'm just working so hard to lose a few pounds. And yeah, I've killed the carbs, man. And I'm on my high protein thing. Okay. And we don't do it quietly, do we? Now look at them. They would put ash on their face to talk about how devoted they were to God, to have a single purity of heart, to follow after him, and they'd make themselves look miserable. And Jesus goes, I know what you're doing. You're not after the the reward of the Lord. You just want to look good in front of people, and that's the only reward you're going for. Listen, and he says, when you fast, so again, he's assuming you do, what do you do? What's it say? Which is code word for... Look your best and keep your gob shut. Simple as that. Don't let the world know. Because it's not about letting the world know. It's about you developing a closer walk with the Lord that is more purposeful for his kingdom, that puts you more in tune with spiritual things and gives you a greater desire to turn away from the the enslaving habits of good things that might be in your life. I know what you're doing, says the Lord Jesus. Just don't go there and don't do it. And so those are the three illustrations that he gives. And as we come to the end of the three illustrations that he gives us here, I need to ask you, how are you doing? The great thing about being part of this church is there's loads of people who like to roll up their sleeves and get stuck in and do outward things for the cause of Jesus. And I want to say, let's do it more. Let's have more people playing in the music group. Let's have more people volunteering to help with the youth group and to help with Speak Kids and to do junior church. Let's have more people standing on the back welcoming. Let's have, 
Let's have more people learn to lead a Bible study and growing in that. Let's have a few more people preaching. Let's have more people coming to the prayer meeting and praying out loud. Let's have loads of that. Let's have more hospitality and having people over to your home in the name of Jesus. Let's have more visitation in the name of Jesus. Let's have loads of actions that reveal that you're devoted to the cause of Jesus. But what shouldn't we have more of as we seek to do those things? doing it for all the wrong reasons and doing it to be seen. I wonder how often you and I have grieved when we didn't get more credit for what we have done for Jesus. Whoops. It's so plausible and so powerful to us. We feel the draw to be recognised because we want that reward rather than the reward of our Father in heaven. So, Steve, what is the remedy? If we've seen what to be aware of and we've seen the illustrations, what is the remedy? Well, the remedy comes at the end of each of those three little illustrations. Let me read, and as I read, I want you to list, okay? I've spotted four things. See whether you can spot them too. Verse 4, so that your giving may be in secret then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Jump to verse 6. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Or verse 18. So that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your father who is unseen. And your father who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. What's the antidote? First thing, know that you have got a father. And he's not ordinary. Oh, he's a protective and he is present and he is patient. Oh, oh, he's so patient. But he's powerful and he is mighty. We have a father He has got an eternal set of eyes that are upon us. And he knows our past, our present, and our future. And he has sent his son to save and draw us into his kingdom. It is infinitely more precious than the eyes of somebody else who will be amused for a minute and then will be then on to the next thing. Now, I really struggle with this because it feels to me like knowing him as my father is not as valuable as having the approval of people. I love the approval of people. I love to be loved. So I have to do a shift. I have to decide what is actually most valuable. That I have a father. He's, your, your, he's my father. He cares for me. Will that change my outlook? So he's my father. Who else is he? He is unseen. Do you realize that it's okay for the Lord of glory not to be recognized for foolish things? In fact, you think about the Lord Jesus. He had all power, all authority, and in the days of his flesh, he spoke with such humility. Did he big up himself? Was he looking for the approval of people? The Lord Jesus Christ was perfectly happy to be unseen for the wrong, wrong reasons. You know what I mean? That, doesn't, that sentence didn't make, but you get what I mean. Okay, that sentence definitely didn't make any sense. 
He wasn't out for the approval for the wrong things. It wasn't a selfish, ugly, clamoring for attention. He didn't feel like he needed to broadcast himself. He wasn't after the applause of vain people. He was happy to be unseen. And of course, that can fool us these days because the present Lord of glory is here now, but we struggle to see him, don't we? And that's why we've got his word. And he makes himself known to those who want to see him for the right reasons. But if you don't want to see him for the right reasons, he will remain unseen by you. That's frightening, isn't it? Some people that we know, why can't I see God? Answer, because you don't want to see who he really is. So he remains and keeps himself unseen from you. What else do we find? We find he's our father. He is unseen. What else does it say in those verses? He does something. What does he do? He sees what? What is unseen. He values the unseen. Why is that? Because you need to ask yourself a question. What is it that God wants of any of us? Is it vain outward obedience? No. What does he want from you? What does he want from me? He wants your heart. He wants you. That's what you're made for. That's why he made us in the first place, to know him and to dwell with him and to have a relationship with him. He wants you. And if there's one place where he knows where you really are, it's in the secret place. We get a picture of what God expects, what he deserves, what he... He wants you. Are you prepared to give yourself? But there's one last thing. We see he's our father, that he is unseen, that he sees in secret. And what's the last one? He loves to give rewards. Now, we get this idea of rewards being something we deserve. Okay, at the end of it, you know, I get 10 points because I've answered the question correctly in the quiz or whatever it is, the reward. Who gives us all of the stuff we have anyway? He does. So any abilities that we've got to do anything, he has given to us. And as we turn them back in worship to him, he gives us more. But some of us use what he has given to us, not to turn back to him, but to pursue what we want, what we value, our own reward by looking good in front of people. And he says, that's all you get. But if you take what you have been given by me, which is the opportunity to know me, and, and you take yourself and pour it back out towards me, I will give you even more rewards. What's the great award? reward? Him. We can have more of him. So I wonder what you're going to do with all of this. The Lord Jesus is given a warning. He's illustrated the problem. And he's given us the remedy, which is to seek his reward. You will be seeking a reward from somewhere. Will it be from the vain set of eyes of people here or from the one who loves you and gave himself for you? Who or what will carry you through the day? Who or what is deserving? If you're anything like me, and as I battled with this, I've been, Lord, why do I find this so hard? Why is it that every week I go away more worried about what people think of me than what you have given to me? Why is it I do that? 
Why do I make all of my acts of devotions more about me than more about enjoying you? Lord, have mercy and help see you and to love the unseen things about you rather of other people. We'll tell a story about this kingdom. Are we part of a kingdom that is real and true and present and worthy? Or will we just slip into living like the rest of the world, desperately clamoring for a vain and empty reward? Let's pray together before we sing.